Hey, this morning, there's a couple of things I want to speak to. I think God's up to something. I love what he's shaping and forming in us. I'm having a lot of conversations with people in our church. And there's a couple of things that just consistently keep coming through, which has brought me to the conviction that this is, I think, what the Lord is wanting to shape and mold within us at the moment. And I want to speak to that. And interestingly, as I've been reflecting on these two things, they're actually found in Jesus's final discourse to his disciples, uh, found from John 13 onwards. There's a couple of key themes that Jesus speaks to there, uh, which would indicate that these are very important, very precious things to the heart of God. So Jesus is hanging out with his disciples and he's begun to kind of let them know that things are about to, to heat up. And he's saying, you know, someone's going to betray me. And he says to Peter, you're going to abandon me. And there's this kind of in the room, I suspect, there's this kind of like increased uh, sense of it, or maybe an edge or like uncertainty, uh, maybe a bit of stress. It's like, what's what's going on? Which I think is a lot uh, of what many people are feeling at the moment. Like, man, what's going on in the world today? And this whole COVID pandemic thing and all of these, like, it seems like every social issue is really divisive and hot talk. And there's kind of this stress that we can be feeling, I think, at the moment, which is why I think uh, God's up to something. Often God's deepest work isn't during times where it's all chilled. His deepest forming work under times of pressure, uh, sometimes uh, stress, sometimes suffering. Often we're doing his deepest work in our hearts and lives. And there's two things I believe in particular that, that God is doing that, that Jesus speaks to in these passages. And so I want to speak to those this morning. The first is that I believe he's teaching us what it looks like to have the peace that comes from Jesus that it's not dependent on all of our circumstances around us. And secondly, what it means for us to walk in unity, supernatural unity together as brothers and sisters, to have a unity of heart in a very divided world. And I think those are the, the two of the things that the Lord is focusing uh, his work on in our hearts and lives at the moment. So I want to look at those. So in John 14 verse 27, well, at the start of John 14, Jesus says, Don't let your hearts be troubled to his disciples. I'd say... He's just saying that over us. Let's not let our hearts be troubled. Let's listen to Jesus. Later in that same uh, chapter, in verse 27, Jesus talks about the peace that he wants to give his disciples. He's like, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. What an incredible promise and what an incredible gift that Jesus is saying, I want to give you. Now, Jesus is saying, this is my peace. I'm not giving it to you as the world gives. So the peace that our world gives us is like if everything lines up, we can have moments of peace. So if there's a lack of conflict in relationships and if there's no pressure at work and everything's going well there, uh, or if we've just won the World Cup and all of society's pretty in a good mood or we're all on summer holiday, like a whole bunch of things lined up, we can have these moments of peace. But they're very, very fleeting and very rare. And with all of the pressure that's on our lives at the moment, which is not going away anywhere in a hurry, friends. We have to get used to, the, to what it feels like in our wider world it's at the moment. This is here to stay. Then we have this invitation to walk in the peace of Jesus. That's not the peace of this world. It's the peace that comes from him. And so when Jesus says this to his disciples, like my peace I give you, 
Like that means something to the disciples because they've witnessed this peace in the life of Jesus. They've witnessed this uh, peace as Jesus navigates enormous pressures from a political system that's actually a Roman Empire. You don't like what they're about and they will kill you or make life very tricky. Uh, uh, and then you've got a religious and cultural system that's threatened by his message of grace and peace. Uh, and, and so he gets false accusations thrown at him and lies about him and he gets all sorts of, he has to navigate all this complexity and rubbish. He's hanging out with these 12 disciples who are from incredibly diverse worlds. One's a tax collector, so he's totally sold out to the Roman Empire. Uh, Simon's a zealot, which is effectively a terrorist or freedom fighter. And these two are hanging out in the same small group. <laughs> I mean, this is, Jesus has got this world like where he has just every right to be super stressed constantly crowds love him and then the next minute they're leaving him saying this is too much at times people want to kill him it's so full on and yet he walks in peace this incredible peace and even now as Jesus is on the eve of his own death he's carrying this peace he's like this is the peace I want to give you what a gift I want to learn what it looks like to live in that peace and so there's a couple of ways that we can choose to, to walk into this. Uh, firstly, uh, Romans 5 verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying here is actually the work that Jesus did that very next day on the cross has made uh, our relationship right with God if we receive that gift of his sacrifice for us in faith. If we just receive that and say, yes, Lord, I receive your gift of grace and mercy and forgiveness. I accept the work that you've done on the cross for me. I receive that in faith. Then we have been made right with God and we have peace with God. That is a beautiful feeling that, that can permeate our hearts and minds. And it's not just a one-off experience when you come to faith for the first time. After following Jesus, most of my life, I've realized that this is constantly something I have to come back to and declare over my life. I have been justified and I have peace with God through Jesus Christ. So I can be at peace. I can be at peace. We have peace. I have peace with God through Jesus Christ. I'm right with him. It's okay. He loves me. He embraces me. He delights in me. And my sin, no matter how bad it is, as far as the east is from the west, has been taken care of. So that's how far it's gone. It's been taken care of because of what Jesus has done on the cross. So let's receive that. And this morning, if you're wrestling with shame or sin, can I encourage you once more to bring it to the cross and then leave it at the cross Leave it there. Don't come back and pick it up again and, and can continue to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Speak that truth of yourself. You are forgiven. You've been set free. And so there's that first kind of embracing of that peace of God. But now we have to learn to live in that peace of God in the world in which we, we swim with all of its pressures and all of the crazy out there. And so again, this is not a unique experience to us. Uh, this was something that the early church are going through. And so Paul addresses that in his book to the Philippians. Philippians 4 verse 6, he says this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, pre present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
So Paul is talking now about how we live in the peace of God, which echoes what Jesus says in John 15. Again, in this discourse to his disciples before he dies, he's like, remain in me, stay connected to me, abide in me, learn to live a life of loving union and connection with me. And so how do we navigate and with all the anxiety and stress and pressure in our worlds? Well, Paul says, don't be anxious about it, but uh, and again, there's nothing wrong with anxiety as a, uh, in terms of mental health stuff, but, but what Paul's encouraging us to do is to get in the habit of bringing all of this to God in every situation by prayer and petition. So by prayer, so like having that devotional rhythm that enables you to sit in the presence of a loving God, like it, there's no shortcuts here. This is so key. If you want to walk in peace, a daily, if not more regular devotional practice that says you sit with Jesus, then I bring it in prayer and petition. And then Paul adds with thanksgiving. Uh, I've talked about this in the past, but for two or three times a week, I will write a list as part of my devotional uh, experience of, like, uh, of things I'm grateful for. So with thanksgiving, which gives me enormous perspective about my life. I'm helping, again, be transformed by the renewing of my mind. I'm training my brain to look for the abundant blessings all around me that, that, that are just a gift of God. So I'm writing those things down. So I'm bringing these things to God with gratitude in my heart and I'm presenting my request to God. Now, as I present those requests to God, it says, now then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say anything about our situation changing. Paul's writing many of his epistles, and this is sort of advice from prison cells. His circumstances aren't changing, but he's bought all of this uh, all of the stuff that's stressing him out into the presence of the God of the universe. And I'm choosing to come to God. I'm saying, I trust in you. I'm yielding to you. I'm trusting in your sovereignty. I'm trusting in your heart. I'm actually acknowledging that I'm not in control of most of my life, but you are. And so I choose to trust in you, loving Father, creator of the universe. And as I do that, this sense of, God, of the peace of God starts coming. And it says it guards our hearts and minds. I've, uh, I've got some vulnerabilities on my mental health, particularly with the depression in my family line. I have to watch this. And a big part of my devotional rhythms uh, to enable my mind to be guarded from the vulnerabilities I have around depression. And, uh, and I've experienced this, that there's a sense of God's uh, peace guarding my mind, not letting it slip into despair <laughs> and sit with him. This is so beautiful. And then Paul kind of goes on a little bit further in verse 8 to kind of really lean in a little, even a little further and get to give us some brilliant advice. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So Paul's saying there's a, like we can think about all sorts of stuff. And uh, today with um, social media and with, uh, with you know, uh, um, constant connection to an online world, we can be thinking about all sorts of things that are going to do nothing to help our pursuit of lives of peace. They're going to stew us up. They're going to stress us out. And news uh, is predominantly just like, what's the worst things happening in New Zealand and the world right now? And here's what you can read. And it's just, it's horrific. I mean, now I'm not saying we, we, we uh, disengage or are in denial about what's happening. But I think the reality, if we're honest, for most, most of us, it's like there's a huge amount of input from uh, social media and from news and all that sort of stuff. And what Paul's saying here is actually like, how about we try and intentionally fill our minds 
with all of this epic, all of the good God stuff. That list there is incredible right stuff and pure stuff and lovely stuff and admirable stuff and excellent stuff and praiseworthy stuff. Like think about such things. Dwell on that. Paul uh, in Colossians says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Again, he's not saying don't engage with the reality of our world, but he's like set your mind on the things of heaven, of the things of God. So this is why I want to be reading Christian books and getting into the word of God every day and, and filling my mind mind and my life with the with the things of God and his kingdom and that then uh, enables me to have a higher chance I'm about to live a beautiful life that's actually soaking in the peace of God there's this invitation for us to learn what it looks like and this is where Paul in verse 9 says whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me put it into practice put it into practice and then what's the next line and the God of peace will be with you Put it into practice. This is one of the great challenges of the Christian life in the West today is that we've had this theology that says I I, um, come to faith and then one day I'm going to go to heaven when I die. But actually the way way of Jesus is putting the stuff into practice now here in the present. Let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Like right now, let it break in into my life. And uh, this is where I've talked historically about the the, uh, theology of sanctification, of being transformed from glory to glory. We learn the way of Jesus, and the way of Jesus is the way of peace. Now, am I living this uh, perfectly? No. One of our cultural mantras at Bay Vineyard is that we are all hypocrites in transition, especially the pastor. We are hypocrites in transition, but we are moving towards the life that Jesus has called us to live in. And so therefore, over the last couple of months, have I smashed this? No, I haven't. But... Uh, I've had lots of reasons to be super stressed and overwhelmed. And for the most part, I've experienced God's peace on a whole new level, tangibly breaking into my heart and mind. And I've been able to walk in that in a whole new way this year, which I've, uh, I've loved. And so it's made me very passionate about this. This is for everyone. And it isn't dependent on whether everything else is lined up in our exterior world. But actually, there's a maturity beyond that where we can begin to walk in the way of Jesus, where we can learn to live in peace, where we can learn to have, uh, to, to, um, have a lifestyle that's conducive to walking in the peace of God. You know, godly biblical rhythms that are in tune with the pace of Jesus, where we learn to walk with him. What a witness this is to the world. I'm captivated by John Mark Comer's statement that we are invited to be a non-anxious presence to the world. It's interesting in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, um, and uh, and I, I think I've looked at this before and kind of thought more in terms of, uh, you know, armed conflict or whatever, like blessed are the UN peacemakers or something. But actually, the more I've thought about it, this is like, man, blessed are those that are bringing peace into workplaces and into families and uh, peace into the lives of children. I'm feeling the conviction of God at the moment because I've still got a long way to grow in terms of bringing that. But like, what does it look like for us to be people that give the gift of peace, to be a non-anxious presence in our workplaces and families and in friends?
friendships. And then when we sit down with people, we're engaged because we're carrying the peace of God. And so therefore we listen well. What a gift to the world. I pray that we would capture a fresh vision this morning about what it looks like to be a, to, to be a people of peace. This is actually one of our, our core values in Bay Vineyard is that we'd be people of peace. And I and that was three years ago. We just we sensed the Lord say, hey, this is this is who I want you to be. And more than ever, I'm like, this is who we're meant to be, friends. And this very divided, stressed, anxious world, people of peace. This is a journey, but this morning I pray that the Holy Spirit would illuminate your mind around what it could look like to put into practice a greater lifestyle of peace. So that's the first thing. The second thing is unity. And I believe the Lord wants to teach us what it looks like to have just united hearts, to be a people united, committed to unity in a very, very divided world. Uh, you don't have to be a sociologist to figure out, like, man, we are living in really divided times. I'm not a um, super spiry penty that way. There's a little bit of that in, in me, probably. But, um, but I have no doubt that one of the major things that the enemy is doing in the world today is, is causing enormous division. The aggression, the frustration, the animosity, the suspicion of people that aren't in your tribe. It's, it's, it's tragic what's going on here. And I think what God is doing at the moment is uh, enabling us or causing us to, to, as the church, to be reawoken to the call to have a precious unity. And it's not a uniformity of where we agree on everything, it's, but it's a deep unity around Jesus and the gospel of Jesus and what it looks like to follow the way of Jesus that therefore means that we, are, we see ourselves as brothers and sisters even if we, um, we would uh, have different different views on other issues. And again, in John's in this discourse before Jesus goes to the cross in John 17, we read Jesus' longest recorded prayer. And in John 17, Jesus prays to his Father and says, My prayer is not for them alone. I also pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So Jesus is saying, it's not just for my disciples now, it's for us. It's for me and you who believe because the disciples went out and were obedient to what Jesus called them to do. And I pray for that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And he said a little bit later, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So Jesus, uh, on, the, on the night before his death, his prayer, his like longest recorded prayer is for us to be a united people. Uh, there's been a number of churches that have really captured uh, my attention because I think they live this out incredibly well. And one of them is a church uh, called The Meeting House in Canada, uh, an Anabaptist church uh, led by a pastor called Bruxy Cavey. Now, the Anabaptist movement are very um, strong in their uh, theology as a, as a church, as a denomination around pacifism, which is the belief that there's no space for uh, Christians to engage in war or violence in any way. Very strong on that, and, and, and obviously drawing from the Sermon on the Mount. Very, uh, you know, it's, it's not a controversial <laughs> theological opinion, but they're very strong on it. And historically, they'll be martyred rather than choose to go, go down the route of bearing arms for any way, shape, or form. But they're like, what does it look like for us to be an Anabaptist church and for people to be part of our church and feel like this is home and that they're loved? but disagree with us on one of these core things for us as an Anabaptist movement. 
And so they went on this journey and they did it. They like just became this church where people that were in the armed forces, people that maybe were into their guns or whatever, or didn't have a, had a theology maybe more around just war or whatever, they, they could feel like this place was home. And they just created, and not just on that issue, on many complex social issues, they have done this. And so here's a little clip from a two minute, three minute clip from Bruxy on a sermon a number of years ago talking about this unity. So apologies for the cheesy music underneath it, but what he says here is brilliant. We share our best understanding of scripture and we can do it with, the apostle Peter says, with gentleness and respect. So we do not in church, I hope this is true for any church, I'll speak for the Meeting House, we do not try and create a unity based on absolute agreement on all things at all times, where we'd be excommunicating each other all the time for different things, as Christians have tended to do throughout history. And not just excommunicate, but kill the ones who we think are wrong. We, we do not have a unity that is based on absolute agreement on all things at all times. That's a secular form of unity that any non-Christian group could have. You know, you can get along with non-Christians from non-Christian groups that define their parameters and say to belong to our club, you have to agree with these things and then anyone who does is in. And there's nothing miraculous about that, but Jesus prayed for a special miraculous unity that only the Holy Spirit can bring, and that is when diverse people with diverse opinions about many things are drawn together by the one belief, and that's Jesus is at the center of it all. And then with Jesus at the center, we can make space for people who disagree with us. But we don't have to make space for them by saying, well, we just won't talk about that, and say, well, it's an uncomfortable thing, therefore, you believe what you believe, I believe what not. Well, actually, we can talk about it in a robust fashion, and we can share our understanding of Scripture and say, I honestly believe this, and so I honestly believe you're wrong. But we can do so as family. We can, because that's one of the marks of a healthy family, is that we can disagree together in a way that is not shame-inducing, and not judgmental, is gentle and respectful, but is still open and honest and not afraid. We're not fear-based. So, so we share honestly where we stand and have many times on issues like same-sex marriage, et cetera. Um, and yet at the same time, we make space for those who disagree with us. What kind of weird project is that? It would be far easier to simply say, here's where we stand. If you don't agree with us, there's the door. It'd be easier for the people who stayed because we wouldn't have the challenge of unity within diversity, but rather, we try and take that third path. Rather than be a liberal church that's loving and embracing because we agree, or a conservative church that says we do not agree, therefore we're judgmental. We want to, we've often said we have the theology of conservatives, therefore we want to have the heart of liberals. We want to love so wildly and so well that people assume we're a liberal church even though we're conservative in our theology and only Jesus can teach us how to do that well. And Jesus can teach us to do that well. And he is, he is. At this time, uh, there is this, uh, this realization forming in our church that actually we may not agree on a whole bunch of stuff, but we are united in Jesus. And this is where this, these, both of these things, peace and unity, uh, from Jesus. Because it's real easy to have peace when, uh, when everyone agrees on the same stuff. But we're talking about walking in the way of peace and walking in the way of unity, but having an enormous diversity of opinion on all sorts of secondary things. And this is one of the gifts of the church. In fact, Brian Zahn says it like this. One of the gifts of the church is that it throws us into the company of people who, left to our own devices, we would probably never have any interaction with. But these are precisely the people we need to meet and get to know and learn to love. 
and learn to love. Like this is the way of true love. Easy to love people where you agree on everything, but to walk and to learn on uh, to love, like self-giving, the self-sacrificing love of Jesus, not the love of our culture, which is be kind to people and tolerate them. It's like, no, a deep love, a self-giving love, a, a love that wants the best for the other person. Like we learn that when we hang out with people that we probably wouldn't otherwise hang out with. Uh, and this is where there's something in Bay Vineyard that is incredibly precious and I want us to guard it and to value it and to treasure it and to be proud of it because in our church we have an incredibly diverse bunch of people from different cultural backgrounds with different worldviews on any number of issues today. Uh, we've got, you just think of anything in, in the world today whether it's uh, things to do with orientation or uh, or political views, and we have ex the, we have the extremes, uh, and everything in between, and it is so beautiful. And what's our unity around? It's not around whether we agree on. It's our unity is around Jesus, and this is where uh, I like what Roxy said. We still engage with the topics. Listen, you know, I'm posting stuff around my perspective on all sorts of things because what we're trying to do is have these robust conversations about what it means to be faithful to the way of Jesus and to be a witness to the way of Jesus in the world today. And so I'm not interested in people's political ideologies or people. I'm interested in taking those same issues and putting them through the biblical lens of the way of Jesus and going, what does it look like to live faithfully for, to Jesus? And that's why you can't box us as Christians. We've got people in our church that would vote that party and people that would vote Green Party. I'm confused every election cycle about what to what to vote for because like nothing in the political world lines up with what Jesus is about and it's not meant to. The church is meant to embody this alternative way of Jesus, this new humanity under the rule and reign of Jesus. And so we're going to be talking and wrestling and, and nutting out what it looks like to, to do that and we can disagree and that's fine because our trajectory is towards Jesus. I heard a beautiful metaphor around what this looks like from a spiritual director called Sheila Pritchard. Uh, and she said this, a visitor to an out Australian outback cattle station was intrigued by the seemingly endless miles of farming country with no sign of any fences. He asked a local rancher how he kept track of his cattle. The rancher replied, oh, that's no problem. Out here we dig wells instead of building fences. That's a beautiful metaphor for what the church is meant to be all about. We dig wells instead of fences. And, and we are the people that say we have met Jesus. And he's the well. He's the source of life. He's the one and that, that set us free. And he brings us peace. And he teaches us how to live lives of love and joy and peace. And so therefore we're trying to orientate our life around him. To be with him and to become like him. And to do what he did. And we may be a community of very diverse views on all sorts of things. Whether it's vaccinations or masks. Or whether it's Donald Trump. Or whether it's uh, LGBTQI plus stuff. Or whether uh, it's... Uh, you know, whether we like the Green Party or the Act Party, or whatever. like literally in our church, we've got a diverse opinion on everything I've just said and people living from those convictions. It, but we're brothers and sisters. And so we're trying to work out what does it look like to be faithful to the way of Jesus? 
And so that's why I'm, you know, I'm going to post my stuff and share my opinions as the pastor of this church around what I think is the faithful way of Jesus, but I could be wrong. And I'm fine if you disagree with me because what unites us is an agreement on all these secondary issues. The number one thing for us, the central thing is a person, his name is Jesus. And so we believe that you can belong in Bay Vineyard before you behave yourself in terms of whatever behaviors you, you know might be a bit nutty. Uh, or even before you believe, you can belong in this community. Uh, and, uh, and our main conversation is how can we get close to Jesus? How can we get close to him? He's our North Star, our ambitions for him. That's the conversation we want to have. And all of those other issues are important. But uh, what we're trying to do is have healthy, robust conversations around what it looks like to be faithful to the way of Jesus and to be a faithful, faithful witness to his heart and his way, because that's the priority in our hearts and minds and political ideologies and tribal camps around that, that stuff's secondary. We're trying to wrestle all of these things, things, things through to think biblically with the New Testament as our mental mind map. Like, what does it look like to live out the way of Jesus? And those are the yarns we're having. And they're healthy and they're good because they're about the well. How can we be faithful to be close to him? Hebrews 10 verse 4 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And Braxy in that, uh, on that uh, verse says this, The Greek word behind spurring one another on means to jab, poke, or stab someone with something sharp. He says, I love it. Christ followers are called to provoke one another, to jab one another, to poke and prod another towards loving well and living well, towards love and good deeds. That's the sort of culture we're all about. What does it look like to, uh, for us to be faithful to the way of Jesus? And so I love what God is doing in our midst at this time. He's doing something very rich and very deep. And I'm praying this morning, even as I speak to it, that it just I'll be blessing what God's actually already doing in your hearts and in the hearts of the people in our church. And that as we gather together in person, hopefully soon, there'll be the sense, renewed sense of, of a deep commitment to one another. We are brothers and sisters and that we can model to the world what it looks like to love one another deeply, even amongst the diversity of opinion. And in all of the crazy of this world that we would learn increasingly to be in a, a non-anxious presence, to be people of peace, bringing peace, that would be blessed as peacemakers uh, in this region. So I finish with this in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. It, it, uh, again, a letter to a church working through all sorts of complexity and crazy. Paul says this at the end of his letter there. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. So again, let's just not lose our context here. Again, one of our, we've got three values at, at Bay Vineyard. Depth, we want to be deep people. Uh, 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 peace, which I've been talking about. And joy, that would actually continue to have a, have a bit of a giggle and be a bit cheeky in the midst of all of the uh, intensity and, and seriousness of this world. So finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. <laughs> have a laugh. Strive for full restoration. So again, there's a whole lot of brokenness that needs to be healed in the church of Corinth. And maybe there's some division in our church. I'm not sure, but let's just have united hearts. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Again, so what are we after? We're, after to, we're learning to be with Jesus, become like Jesus to what he did. That's our vision. That's, the, that's on our hearts and minds. And live in peace. And as we do this, and the God of love and peace will be with you.
Greet one another with a holy kiss, brothers and sisters. All God's people here send their greetings. And listen, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And that's my prayer this morning. So as we finish um, my little corridor this morning, can I encourage you to pray for one another? Can I encourage you to uh, check in with each other? How you're doing? Maybe uh, you know, provoke one another, stir one another on to live a life of love and good deeds. Um, pray for one another with a church. Let's encourage, especially for those that are like, oh, I want that peace, but it's, it's eluding me at the moment. Just that would minister to one another. So love us not just to rush off, but just to have a, just a couple of minutes where we would just pray for one another if we're meeting in homes this morning. But let me finish uh, by praying that benediction that Paul prayed over the church in Corinth over us. And I'm going to do my best to pray that in Māori this morning uh, to honour Te Wakeo Te Reo Māori. So kia tau, kia tato katoa. Let's pray. Let me bless you, church. Te atawhai o, o tō tātou ariki, a ihu karaiti, me te aroha o te atua, me te whiwhiinga tahitanga, ki te wairua tapu, ake, 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 amene. God bless.